Ruth, there is a turning away from God and a turning to self. But the good news that we find in the book of Ruth, the good news that we need to know is that when we are struggling to trust God, being faithless towards Him is that God will be faithful to us. He won't turn away from us. He will be faithful to His people. That God will be faithful despite our faithlessness. In Ruth chapter 1, we find a series of hardships experienced by Naomi. And it's these experiences which will be our three points that we'll be working through the passage together. Our three points are point one, famine and death. Point two, sad goodbyes. And point three, a bitter return. As we open up the book in Ruth, we are met with famine and death. Have a look at verse one and two with me. In the days of judges, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name, of, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Uh, in these two verses, the context is given that this happened during the time of the Judges. Uh, the book of Judges is a time when Israel had no king. And as we see in the book of Judges, there is a recurring theme, isn't there? What is the recurring theme that we come across again and again in the book of Judges? That everyone did what was right? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And as we open up Ruth, friends, our things aren't any different. We read that there is famine in the land of Bethlehem, famine in the land of Judah, and famine for the Jewish reader would have been seen as a result of God's judgment upon them. In the book of Deuteronomy, there is a warning for Israel that if they disobey God, He would send curses on them. Let me read a section from Deuteronomy 29, which says this. It says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees that I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. And the question we ask is, why did God why did God send curses upon His people? Why did He chastise His people this way? Well, it was to awaken them. Awaken them to their circumstances. That in the midst of their day-to-day -day lives, something happened. And that something is, they had forgotten God. They had become unfaithful towards Him. And so what would have been the right response? What would have been the right response of Israel when they saw that they had come under God's judgment? Well, it should be to repent, to stop sinning, to turn back to God. That's what repentance means, friends. Repentance means turning away from the sins of this world, turning away from your sin, and turning back to God. That's what repentance means. But instead of turning to God... Elimelech took his wife, his sons, 
and he went to the land of Moab. The land of Moab was not part of the promised land. Moab was filled with a people who weren't God's people. And so what Elimelech was effectively saying when he left Bethlehem, he was saying, Lord, I can't trust in you. Lord, I'm going to leave your promised land. I'm going to leave your covenant people and go to this land. But hope is there, not here. For the Jew reading this, they would have gone, what is this man doing? He should not be doing this. He should not be leaving God. He should be not leaving God's promises. And so the Jew is not, would not have been all surprised when they find out what has happened to Elimelech, that he's died, died before this time. They would have seen this as further judgment, God handing over this family to their sin. Friends, I must pause for a second and answer the question that some of us may be having at this point. The question is, are bad circumstances a result of my sin? Are bad circumstances a result of my sin? And friends, as we read God's word, the answer we get is, sometimes. Sometimes. The book of Job is an example of bad things happening, but not a result of personal sin. It was not Job's sin that caused the disasters that befell him. But in the book of Lamentations, which is a book that we looked at together some months ago, we see God actually punishing Israel, punishing his people as a result of their sin. And God will sometimes add temporal punishments or will chastise his people for their sins. In our Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 11, uh, this is the chapter that looks at justification. Our confession says this at point four. It says, God continues to forgive the sins of those who are justified, that God will always continue to forgive those whom are His. But then it says, although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may by their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of His countenance restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sin, plead for pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Uh, what this is saying is that if we are justified by God, He will continue to forgive us. We will be in His hands. We will be safe in His hands. As John reminds us, that once we're in Jesus' hands, no one can snatch us out of them. But what sometimes happens when we sin is that God will sometimes open up His hands ever so slightly, will help us to see the error of our sin, will hand us over to our sin, and we will come under His fatherly displeasure. And when we see God's hands opening ever so slightly, more and more, what, what should happen? Well, this should realize that we are not safe. We are not in His comforting hands. So it should lead us to turn away from our sin and turn to God, to ask God, God, close your hands, restore me. We should be turning away from our sin and coming to God asking that we would be restored to His graces. The danger that God puts us in is to awaken us, that we would confess our sin and come back to Him. And so when Elimelech dies, here in our passage, when Elimelech dies, this should awaken Naomi that she has been unfaithful to God, that she has left God's covenantal promises, His people and the land that was given to them that she should repent and turn back to God. But she doesn't. 
She doesn't. She doesn't return home. We read that she finds Moabite women for her sons to take them as wives. Again, this is further sin. For God had told Israel not to intermarry because foreign women could lead your sons astray to follow after foreign gods. Uh, Is this what happened here? Uh, We aren't told, but we realize that God had not blessed this family. Uh, During the whole time that Naomi was away, a total of 10 years, there is no mention of children. There is no blessing to this family. Naomi had no further children, and no children were born to Ruth or Orpah. And then suddenly, what do we see? Oh, we see that there is further death. There is no life that comes into the picture, but death that has come into the picture. Malon and Killian die. And just like their father, they die before their time. And so it's a sad thing what we read. It's a sad to hear what has happened to this family. The very plan that was to help this family in great tragedy, the plan to live and thrive in another land, has led to death. It has led to mourning. What we read in these five verses, friends, is a tragic opening of famine, death, and further death. There is faithlessness, and there is judgment. But we also need to notice, what we should also notice in these verses, we should notice God's patience towards this family. Do you see that God is being patient with this family? He didn't smite them. He didn't wreak terrible havoc on them all at once to punish sin completely and fully. That's what God should have done. God would be just in doing this, but he doesn't. As we had read out in our New Testament reading, God is completely just in bringing on his judgments for our sin. And if we have sinned against the creator of the universe, if we have sinned against a holy and all-powerful God, if we have sinned and broken his statutes and his laws, then we should expect to be punished. The right punishment for treason against God, well, that would be death. God would be fully just to end the life of someone as a result of their sin. But he doesn't. He doesn't do it against this family, not completely at least. Rather, he has shown patience toward this family. He has brought progressive judgment on this family. God has shown to be merciful to this family with the hope that they would wake up, wake up to how they had turned away from God, wake up that they would turn to him. God has been merciful to this family. We see that in the fact that Naomi is still alive. For the Christian here, for the Christian here, we know so much more of God's faithfulness and kindness towards us, don't we? We know that while we were sinful, while we lived for this world, while we lived for ourselves, while we were in bondage to the evil one, God saved us. He freed us from our chains. He showed us kindness. He gave us life through Jesus Christ. And even while we still sin today, He still shows compassion to us. He shows mercy to us. For in Christ, every sin is paid for. 
And yes, we have said, as we've said earlier, that sometimes God will temporarily hand us over to our sin. We are seeing that God is still faithful to us. We see it in our passage. God has been faithful to this family. He hasn't completely destroyed them. He has been faithful to them in the midst of famine and death. And while tragic and heart-wrenching as that is, God has been patient with Naomi, faithful to Naomi. However, for poor Naomi, her hardships have not ceased. Her hardships have not ceased, and we see that she is about to go back to her promised land at the good news, but as she returns, some sad goodbyes are about to come. And this leads us to our second point. Point two, sad goodbyes. From verse 6 to verse 19, we are given this scene, friends. We have heard that God has been good to his people. He has visited them. He has looked upon them with favor. He has said that the famine is over. He has sent rain and the crops are growing. And this news has traveled to Naomi, where she hears that bread has returned to Bethlehem. And so she, with her two daughters, she summons her two daughters to return to the land of Judah, to return back to her hometown. But what happens? What happens on the journey? Well, she says to them, don't come with me. She says to them, go back, remain here. Go back to your mother's homes, find husbands, marry again, start a new life. She says, there is no hope with me if you stay here. I can't provide you with husbands. If you stay with me, you will live the destitute life of a widow. And what Naomi was trying to tell her two daughters is, is that if you stay with me, there will only be hardships that await you. And while it would have been very painful for Naomi to say goodbye to her last remaining family, it would have been more painful for her to keep these two women with her. For she knows what would be in store for her daughters if they stayed. For a widow in the ancient Near East, one of three outcomes was likely. Either a life of poverty, a life of slavery, or a life of prostitution. And Naomi doesn't want that for her two daughters. So she urges them to go, to go back home, to go back to her mother, their mother's houses to find husbands again and to marry again. And at this urging, one daughter-in-law, Orpah, returns home to her mother's home. But as we read on, one remains. Ruth remains. And try as she might, Naomi can't seem to convince her to go. And look what Ruth says to Naomi in verse 16 and 17. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. The first words of Ruth are a pledge to leave her country, all that is familiar to her, and to be with Naomi. In this declaration by Ruth, she says that all is yours. Your God and your people will be my own. 
uh, what we see here from Ruth is a real abandoning of her former life and going all in and giving her life to be with Naomi, her people, and her God. Uh, what we see from Ruth is the crossroads that every Christian will find themselves in as they have the call to leave everything that they know, every security behind, and to trust that a greater security can be found in the Lord Jesus. When Christ beckons a Christian to follow Him, He calls the Christian to leave everything behind that they once embraced, to give up every security that they once held, every God, everything that they held dear, and to follow Him. Him. Uh, for the typical Australian, this call is to leave behind their trust in self, to leave their trust in wealth behind and to trust in God, to follow Him. For others, sometimes the call is to leave their former religion behind, their worship of other gods, perhaps their devotion to their family and their ancestors, to no longer rely on these things as securities but to submit to God and to rely on Him as their security. And that's what Ruth is doing. She is leaving the security of her family, her gods, her roadmap to a good life. She's leaving it all behind. She is leaving it all behind to follow Naomi's God and to become one of her people. And the question that comes to mind as we see all this, the question that we ask is, is it worth it? Is it worth throwing away every security, every God that we once followed, to now follow this God, the God of the Bible? Asking, what do we receive if we follow this God and give up everything else? For the Christian following God, to follow God for the Christian means everything. It means receiving everything. In Jesus, the Christian's needs are satisfied. Where previously, at once upon a time, they chased after the things of this world and were never satisfied, always running but never reaching the goal. However, in Jesus, every satisfaction is met, every hunger is fed, every thirst is quenched. And then there is the hope that is sought up for the Christian, the promise of a better tomorrow, the promise and gift of eternal life. The Christian awaits their full reward of being with the Father. The Christian awaits the full reward of being without sin, of no longer experiencing suffering, but being in a place where there is no more sin, living the life they were created for before sin entered the world. Our friends, we were created to live forever. We were created to live in a world without hurt, without suffering, without sin, and to be in right relationship with God. To choose God will mean losing the securities of this world, the treasures of this world, but it also means gaining everything in Christ. Jesus said this to his disciples in the Gospel of Mark. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the Gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
And Jesus says again in another section in Mark's Gospel, he says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the Gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Uh, to leave the things of this world, oh, it's not easy. Oh, it's very difficult. But Jesus says the rewards are worth it. To abandon the fleeting things of this world is to gain, every, gain lasting treasures in Christ. So despite the urging of Naomi for Ruth to leave her, to stay home, to stay here in the land of Moab, Ruth stays with Naomi. And God will reward Ruth for her faith. And so begins Naomi's return to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And this leads us to our third point. Point three, a bitter return. And verses 19 to 21, we see Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem. But if there was any joy at Naomi's return, as people see their relative or their friend after 10 years... Naomi wouldn't have it. Look at what Naomi says to those who recognize her. She says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Now, the name Naomi, the name means pleasant, suggesting that Naomi's life and her circumstances are pleasant. But from Naomi's vantage point, they are far from pleasant. Her circumstances have been filled with hardships, with sad goodbyes, with loss, with death. She says to everyone, I went away full. I had a husband. I had two sons. But now... And now I have nothing. I have no husband, no sons, and no future. My life before me will be hard. It will be painful. I went away full, and I have returned with nothing. And to expect much more than that would be to invest in some fleeting dream. So she says to everyone, call me Mara. And Mara means bitter, for her circumstances have become bitter. She has no hope and no future. For she says, God has taken them away. But you know what's interesting, though? Naomi asks everyone to call her Mara. But as we read the rest of the book, no one calls her by that name. They still call her Naomi. What is the author trying to convey by refusing to call Naomi Mara? I think the author is trying to say that God is not done with Naomi yet. God still has plans for her. Naomi has returned home. She's feeling bitter. But our author wants us to know that he hasn't written off Naomi just yet. God hasn't written off Naomi just yet. God is going to be faithful to Naomi. It's interesting in the book of Ruth that God is referred predominantly by his covenant name, Yahweh. 
And in these four chapters, his covenant name appears 18 times. And God's covenant name means something. It means that God is going to be with his covenant people. God is going to be faithful to them. And as we looked a few weeks ago in 2 Timothy, we were reminded that when we are faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He is going to be faithful to his covenant. He is going to be faithful to his people. What a comfort. And how much more comforting to the Christian where we are no longer just God's people. We have become part of God's family. In Christ, we have been adopted as His children. Through Christ, we are able to call God Father. And our Heavenly Father will sometimes chastise us, sometimes chastise us not to harm us, but to awaken us when we have become unfaithful. If you, are, if you know, friends, right now, if God is speaking to you right now, telling you, speaking to you now in the midst of unfaithfulness, where he has temporarily handed you over to his fatherly displeasure, this is to awaken you, awaken you to turn back to him. If God is prompting you in this, let me encourage you to turn to him, to repent of your sins, and ask that God would enclose his safe, comforting hands around you, that you would be restored to his fatherly pleasures and his graces. Even when we are faithless, he, our Heavenly Father, will remain faithful to us. Uh, the first chapter of Ruth, in many ways, is also our story. It's a story of a faithless people, a faithless family, and a faithless believer. And I don't know about you guys, but as I think on this, I can't help but be astounded by God's kindness and patience. And as I think about my sin, as I think about my faithlessness, as I think about those times when I'm more likely to trust in me and trust in people, and when I don't trust in God, when I don't turn to Him, I'm reminded from this book, from this chapter, that God is patient with me. As I fall in the trap of trusting in myself rather than trusting in Him, God is showing that He is faithful to me, faithful to His people, patient with us. He seems to always bring me back to a place where I'm trusting in Him again. And this reminder isn't just for me. It's for each of us. As you think of your circumstances, the sins you're struggling with, perhaps the hardships you're going through, as you've perhaps turned away from God, our passage is a reminder to turn back to Him, to turn back to the one who is faithful in the midst of our faithlessness. God is faithful to His people. God is faithful to His children. He is faithful to those who belong to Christ. So friends, in the midst of whatever is happening in your life, God is there. He is faithful. He is merciful. He is being patient with each of us. He is there to help us. So in the midst of whatever we're going through, let's turn to Him. Let's stop turning to self and depend on the one who is faithful to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your mercy unto each of us. Father, we thank you for how you save us, how you saved us from our sins and our trespasses. Lord, that you saved us while we were in bondage to sin. 
Lord, that you had brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous kingdom. And Father, we thank you for how you continue to work in our lives. Lord, how you continue to shape us and transform us. Father, we thank you for how you are faithful to us in the midst of our faithlessness. Father, we pray, Lord, that as we see um, hardships come our way, as we sin, that we are delving into sin. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would awaken us, and Father, that we would turn away from sin and turn to you. Uh, Father, help us to be faithful. Lord, it isn't easy. We pray by your Spirit that you would help us to do this. Walk with us and guide us that we may continually come back to you and depend on you. Father, we pray, help us to do this. Help us to do this by your Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, musicians. Would you please stand?